Section 34 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 3 Clubin Carries Away and Does Not Bring Back. Sieur Clubin completed the lading of the Durande, took on board a number of cattle and several passengers, and quitted St. Malo for Guernsey on Friday morning as usual. On that same Friday, when the vessel was in the open sea, which permits the captain to absent himself from the bridge for a few moments, Clubin entered his cabin, locked the door, took a traveling bag which he had, put some garments in the elastic compartment, biscuits, some boxes of preserve, a few pounds of cocoa in sticks, a chronometer, and a marine glass in the solid compartment, locked the bag, and ran through the handles a rope all ready to haul it up at need. Then he descended into the hold, entered the chain-locker, and was seen to come up again with one of those knotted ropes under his arm, which are provided with a hook, and which are used by caulkers at sea and by thieves on shore. These ropes facilitate climbing. On arriving at Guernsey, Clubin went to Torteval, there he remained for thirty-six hours. He took with him the valise and the knotted rope, and did not bring them back. Let us state, once for all, that the Guernsey which is treated in this book is the ancient Guernsey, which no longer exists, and which it would be impossible to find today anywhere except in country places. There it is still alive, but it is dead in the towns. The remark which we make concerning Guernsey should also apply to Jersey. St. Helier is equal to Dieppe, and St. Pierre Port is the same as Lorient. Thanks to progress, thanks to the admirable spirit of enterprise of this brave little insular people, everything has been transformed within the last forty years in the Channel Archipelago. Where there was darkness there is light. Having made this observation, let us pass on. In those times, which have already become historical, smuggling was very active in the channel. Contraband vessels abounded, particularly on the west coast of Guernsey. Persons fully informed as to the smallest details of what took place half a century ago even go so far as to cite the names of many of these vessels, nearly all Asturian and Gipascoan. There is no doubt of the fact that hardly a week passed without the arrival of one or two of them in the Bay des Saints or at Plaimont. It had all the appearances of a regular service. One ocean cave at Sark was, and still is, called the Shops, because people came to this grotto to purchase merchandise of the smugglers. To meet the requirements of this kind of traffic, a sort of contraband language now forgotten, and which was to Spanish what the Levantine is to Italian, was spoken in the channel. At many points on the French and English shores, smuggling had a cordial but secret understanding with legitimate and protected commerce. It had the right of entrance to more than one financier in high position by a private door, it is true and it was slyly interfused in commercial circulation and in the whole arterial system of trade. Merchant in front, smuggler at the rear, that was the history of many a fortune. Seguin said it of Bourgin, 
Bourgin said it of Seguin. We do not vouch for their statements. Perhaps they slandered each other. However that may be, smuggling, hunted down by the laws, incontestably had very good connections in finance. It had an understanding with the best society. The cavern where Mondrain formerly elbowed the Comte de Charolais was honest on the exterior, and had an irreproachable façade turned toward society, gable-end to the street. Hence much connivance necessarily disguised. These mysteries demanded impenetrable secrecy. A smuggler knew many things, and was forced to hold his peace. An inviolable and rigid good faith was his law. A smuggler's chief of quality was loyalty. Without discretion, no smuggling. There are the secrets of fraud, as there are the secrets of the confessional. These secrets were faithfully guarded. The smuggler swore to maintain silence about everything, and he kept his word. There was no one in whom one could so well confide as in a smuggler. The Judge Alcade of Oyerson one day caught a smuggler and put him to the torture in order to name his secret capitalist. The smuggler did not reveal the name. This capitalist was the Judge Alcade himself. Of these two accomplices, the judge and the smuggler, one had been obliged, in order to comply with the law in the sight of all, to apply torture, to which the other had submitted rather than to violate his oath. The two most famous smugglers who haunted Plémont at that epoch were Blasco and Blasquito. They were tocayos. It is a sort of Spanish and Catholic relationship which consists in having the same patron saint in paradise, a thing not less worthy of consideration, it must be admitted, than having the same father on earth. When one was very nearly initiated into the furtive itinerary of smuggling, nothing was easier, and at the same time more difficult, than to have dealings with these men. It was only necessary to have no fear of night excursions, to go to Plémont and confront the mysterious interrogation point which stands there. End of chapter 3. Clubin carries away and does not bring back.